Perhaps some of you are familiar with that song by the Beatles, Love is All You Need. Well, I can't say that I would agree much with their social views or their politics or even their theology. But with that catchy little song, they did stumble upon something with which I do agree. The essential nature of love is taught in Scripture. That love is not a nice add-on. It's not window dressing, but instead love is what we need and what the Bible calls us to share freely with the world. When Jesus was asked, which was the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. What he was saying is that love is essential. And what I want to tell you today is that love is essential if you and I want to live lives that bring honor and glory to God. We're not going to be able to live a life that brings honor or glory to God if we don't live in love. But we've got to be careful. Because I'm not sure that the Beatles, when they sang that song, were thinking exactly of what the Bible says about love. As a matter of fact, there are all kinds of definitions of love, aren't there? You can love all kinds of things. A child can love ice cream. They could love Brussels sprouts, but it's highly unlikely. But they could love ice cream. A mother can love her child A husband loved his wife. You could love that new car smell. You could even love your cat, although I'm not sure why. (laughs) There's all kinds of definitions for love, and, and that's why when it comes to reading something like this in Scripture, where Jesus says to love God with all you've got and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, when we read that, The first thing that goes to our mind is, what are we talking about? Because love can be anything from a simple act of kindness to the most intimate times in the life of a husband and wife. So what is love? Well, for the next several weeks, we're going to be discovering what love is. We're going to be checking it out. We want to look for real love. And the reason we want to discover real love is so that you and I can learn to love real. Not fake, not created, not manufactured, but love real. And we want to embrace the idea that love is more than a a concept. As a matter of fact, biblically, when you look at the word love, it is used as a noun, but it's also used as a verb. Love is active, But we discover in Scripture that love is also selfless. That means there's less of us in it. We're putting others ahead of ourselves. We're putting God in the preeminent place. But we're also putting, we're valuing the needs of others sometimes above our own needs. We want to discover the essential nature of love. And to do that, we don't need to go ask the Beatles what they think. Nor do we need to ask our culture, nor do we need to ask a philosophy professor. If we want to know what love is, wouldn't it make sense to go to the source? And that's where we want to go. 
And so for the most of our summer, we're going to be spending our time in 1 Corinthians 13, which I see seems awfully appropriate because I will read that verse multiple times this summer as I perform wedding ceremonies. 1 Corinthians 13, we want to understand real love so that we can love real. And so I'll ask you, if you've got your Bibles, to go ahead and open. We're going to look at, actually, start in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, the last verse and the last half of that verse. If you found it, I'll ask if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's true and holy word this morning. And here's what we read. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. And then down to verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Father God, we pray that you would help us to understand and apply this word to our lives so that we can understand love from your perspective and so that we can truly love others. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin and try to take these verses a little along the way and come to understand a fullness of what God is trying to say. And we want to begin with this last half verse of the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Where Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. For us to understand why Paul begins that way, we need to understand a little bit about the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a problem child. They were a little dysfunctional. They had issues. The church in Corinth wasn't a bad church, but Corinth was a metropolitan area. They drew from all over the world. And Corinth had a multitude in that, in that uh, community. They had a multitude of gods who were worshipped. It was a very pagan community. Unlike many of the places where we find Christianity spreading, where they had large Jewish communities, Corinth had a Jewish community, but they were overwhelmed by all the pagans that were around them. And so the gospel began to spread into the lives of people. And they began to hear for the very first time that there weren't many gods, but there was one God. And that this God had a love for them that was so great that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for them on a cross. And this Jesus didn't stay dead, but instead rose again on the third day, proving that he himself was God and offering the way for those who would believe in him to have eternal life. They heard for the first time that they did not have to be in bondage to religious rituals. They heard for the first time that God wasn't mad at them, but instead loved them. And they heard that there was a way to start new, to be born again. And when they heard it, they embraced the truth. But they didn't have a lot of context for the truth. 
and not they weren't given a Bible when they believed. This was kind of the wild, wild west of Christianity. I mean, it was just kind of all kinds of things floating around out there. And they had a hard time processing all this and putting it into a proper context, a proper understanding. And that's why two of the longest letters that Paul writes are to the church in Corinth to try to help them. Now, they had a problem specifically with pride and selfishness. They were putting themselves at kind of the center of the universe. And that's not real healthy. Paul rebukes them. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the main issues that he brings up is this, this idea of, of speaking in tongues, which was a legitimate gift given by God, but it was a dramatic gift. It was something that when it was done, it drew attention to itself. And what happened is the people in Corinth, they saw this, and it was so dramatic and so different that they put that as the preeminent gift. This is the top of the heap. Everybody's got to have this gift. If they don't have this gift, then they must be second class. They're missing out on something. And so they begin to be puffed up with pride. And what, what Paul says here, as he tries to bring them back down to earth, is, listen, guys, let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you the most excellent way. You're thinking this dramatic gift of the Spirit over here that is so flamboyant and so out there and so unusual, you're thinking that it's got to be, that's it. That's the big thing. That's the big gift from God. I want to show you the most excellent way, and that most excellent way was love. It was a gift that was given from God and a gift that we are supposed to give. That's the most excellent way. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Let me show you the way of life that is best of all. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. I want to show you the way to that abundant life. And it's not by one-upping your fellow believers because you've got a better gift than they do, a more public gift than they do, a more dramatic gift than they do. I want to show you the way that is best of all, the most excellent way. Now, Jesus had already said that love was the most excellent way, that loving God and loving others is the greatest of the commandments. Now Paul says, let me teach you the most excellent way. And so he begins. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now we've said already that tongues was a dramatic gift. And it was a gift that God had given we see it in the second chapter of Acts as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the 11 remaining disciples and they stand in this city that is filled with people from all over. I mean, they've come from all over the known world in order to be a part of this celebration in Jerusalem. And so the disciples stand up and they begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they're doing it in different 
languages, languages that they themselves have never learned. They didn't, they didn't go and get Rosetta Stone. They didn't spend two years in college learning these languages. God miraculously gave them these languages that they began to speak. And the people in the congregation were amazed because they were, these were unlearned men. These were common fishermen. And yet they were standing up proclaiming the gospel in multiple languages. And this is what God did with that on that day. 3,000 people from every culture who had gathered there heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and began to follow Jesus. Now, God didn't say, okay, well, that's it for that gift. He began to give that gift even more as the gospel began to spread out of Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. This gift was given by God, and it was used to show his power and to grow his kingdom. But it was never to be used in the way the Corinthians were using it. This gift was to be used in love, not apart from love. This gift was given by God in order to edify the body, in order to grow the kingdom, not to divide the body and destroy the kingdom, but that's the way it was being used. And so Paul rebukes them and he says, listen, you can speak in a thousand languages. You can speak even in the language of the angels. If you're doing it apart from love, it has absolutely no value whatsoever. It's just so much noise, a banging gong, a clanging cymbal. There's nothing to it. It's empty. It's worthless. God never intended for this gift of tongues that was given to be used to puff up somebody, to make them proud. But instead it was to be used to glorify God and to grow the kingdom. It was a gift to be used in conjunction with love, never apart from it. He goes on. If I have the gift of prophecy, he says, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Now, what Paul is actually doing is raising the stakes on them, and you'll see him do it one more time before he's done. He's raising the stakes because the gift of tongues within the local church was considered a preeminent gift, but the gift of prophecy, that may have been even greater. You see, at the time, there were these, we could call them itinerant preachers. There were prophets that would go from town to town, and they'd go and they'd reveal the will and the heart and the mind of God to the people. And, and you've got to admit, that's awfully impressive. A prophet comes into Greensboro and stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord. That'll get your attention. Now, some of those prophets were absolutely legit. Others were pure charlatans. But you've got to admit that's a pretty impressive gift. And Paul says, not only this, if you, God gave you the gift of prophecy, but you can fathom all mysteries and you have all knowledge. Now, this would be the top prophet of all. This is a person who knows the mind and the heart and the will of God and knows the mysteries of God and can look into your life and tell you the deepest, darkest secrets that you carry, the unconfessed sins that no one else knows about. This person can look into your heart and life. Man, now you're talking a big-time gift from God. But let's not stop there because Jesus said that if you had the faith the size of mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, be cast into the heart of the sea, and it would do it. 
And so Paul says, listen, and if you had a faith, a faith that could speak to a mountain that's firmly rooted in the ground to be yanked up out of the ground and cast into the sea, a faith that can move mountains. Now, he is really up the ante here. It's not just speaking in tongues. Now, you've got like a super prophet who can come in and who can really speak to the hearts and minds and lives of people and reveal the mysteries of God and who can speak to mountains, a big miracle worker, and throw them around like they were nothing. The incredible hulk of prophets. Here he is. Paul says, even if that were you, if you don't have love, if there's no love involved in that, you're nothing. You're looking at someone like that and thinking they're the superhero. But without love, they're nothing. Well, he's not done. Ups the ante one more time. And he says this, If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You getting the picture here? All those other things perhaps are outside the realm of, uh, of the what we would consider the average believer, the average follower of Christ. But here are two things that are very much within the realm of where they lived. Perhaps two of the hardest things that Jesus could ever ask of anyone. You remember the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and want to know, wants to know how, how, to, how to follow him, how to have eternal life. And Jesus tells him, go and sell all that you have and give, give the proceeds away to the poor, and then you come and follow me. And the story says that the man turned away and didn't follow him anymore because he was rich. And when he looked at all he had to give up, he wasn't willing to give it up in order to have eternal life. Well, Paul says, listen, you can sell everything so that you have nothing but the clothes on your back. Nothing. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter how great the sacrifice. Not even if you were burned at the stake for the name of Jesus. No love. There's no gain in that. There's nothing to it. It means nothing. Now, folks, how many times have you read over these words? Perhaps hundreds of times in your life you've heard them or read them. Did you take time to understand the truth that is being communicated here? All those things that we consider to be important, that we consider to be essential, what we're being told here in Scripture is they're not. The essential thing is love, and it's not that none of these things have any value. It's just that they have no value apart from love. If love is not in the mix, if we're not loving God and loving others, then it doesn't matter how grand our gesture, it doesn't matter how great our act of service or sacrifice, it doesn't matter apart from love. Without love, the grandest of religious rituals or accomplishments matter at all. They may impress others, but God is not so easily impressed. You see, God's not looking at the outward performance. God's looking at what? The heart. Man's impressed by the outward things. 
But God's vision is fixed on the heart. And you may do things that make a name for you, that make you look good, that make you look big, that you make you stand out. But Paul says if they're done apart from love, they have no value at all. This is what he told to the church in Galatia. He says, for in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Now, uh, we're not talking about what happens in hospitals to baby boys here in the United States. We're talking about a, a, a major religious ritual for the Jewish people, and that is circumcision. circumcision. It was a sign that you belonged to the people of God. It was the first thing that was done after eight days on any male child. This was a bit, you didn't skip this. This was not a, a, you know, a take it or leave it kind of thing. This was major. This was essential. And for the Jewish people, this would be one of the top dogs right here. And what Paul says, in Christ, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. The things that the Jews value the most highly, Paul says, they have, this has absolutely no value at all. The only thing that counts... Now, when you read in the Bible where it says the only thing that counts, you actually may want to underline what comes next. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through, what's that word? Love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's Big. Your faith in Jesus Christ expressing itself in love. You see, we receive God's love. That's where our salvation comes from. We receive God's love in Jesus Christ. But then we are called to express that love. It's not that we pour it all into this vault and then we lock it away because it's so precious. What we're called to do is to yank open the door of that vault and begin to let it pour in and pour out of us. If you want an image here, the image that you can have in your mind is of a bucket filled with holes. Now, if you had a bucket at your house filled with holes, you would throw it away. God's kingdom is filled with buckets full of holes. But you see, God's source is inexhaustible. And God's intent is to pour his love into us and for us to spill out all over. To continue to pour out his love on a world that is in desperate need of the love of Jesus Christ. One of the big issues in the political campaign right now has to do with the attitudes that people have towards homosexuals. I want to tell you the attitude you should have towards homosexuals. is the same attitude that you should have towards anyone. You love them. You may not like what they do, and you may not agree with their lifestyle, but you love them because that's what you're called to do. You are a holy bucket. You love people who are different than you. It doesn't mean that you accept everything that they do. You love them. Why do you love them? Because God looked at you, and quite frankly, you were a mess, and he loved you. 
all this other stuff doesn't matter apart from love. We could pack this building six times over on Sunday. If it's not filled with love, it wouldn't matter at all in the kingdom. We can go out after lunch with our mothers and take her to the finest restaurant, but if we don't love our server, it won't matter. We've got to get this, folks. This is the start of our journey of discovering what real love is. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there are going to be people who, not because they're on vacation, and, and maybe not physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually who are going to check out on this. Because you think, oh, he's going to be preaching about love. Ooh, daisies and butterflies. You can't talk about love without talking about this. And folks, this is no daisy and no butterfly. This is love. Not that you love God, but that God loved you and gave his son to die on a cross for your sins. This is Love. Real love. And this is what we are going to begin to discover in the course of these next few days and weeks. And it's what I pray God will burn as a flame in our hearts and lives so the whole world can see not only how we love one another, but how we love those who are different from us. Folks, we need to move on. Let's move down to verse 13 here. And now these three remain, he says, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. When you condense it all down, when the lights are out and the curtains are drawn, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, we, faith is basically believing, trusting in Jesus Christ. Our salvation comes through faith, believing in God's promise, believing in Jesus as the, the only hope that we have of heaven. The Bible tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so faith, you see, is indeed important. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, through belief, through trust in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That is important. Hope. Hope is not wishing Hope is the confident assurance that what God has promised will come to pass. Hope is sinking our anchor deep within the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Hope is knowing when you put your head on the pillow at night that if you die, you have a home in heaven because of what God has done for you. Hope is when the whole world is tumbling down on you and all your friends and family have turned their back on you, hope is that I am not alone. Faith, hope, and the greatest love. Why is love the greatest? 
Because without love, there is no faith and there is no hope. Why? Because what we put faith in is that God loved us so much he sent his son for us. And what we put hope in is that love is the seal on God's promise. That it will come to pass because God loves us. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Love, you see, is at the heart of the character of God. We know this because we're told twice in the letter of 1 John, God is love. And this is significant because it does not say love is God. If it said love is God, then we could define love and we'd know who God is. But it says God is love. In other words, if we're going to discover what love is, we have to know who God is. Because he defines love for us. Now, if love is a defining characteristic of who God is, and we are God's people, then what should be the defining character of who we are? Love. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples because of how you love one another. Another, that people will look at us and they will see that we are distinct because we don't act like everybody else acts. We're not out carrying banners, carrying placards, and saying how much we hate people who are different than us. We love. Even when it's hard, we love. And we do it because because God loves. And he doesn't want to leave people as they are. But he is willing to meet people where they are. And so must we. And so the journey begins for some of you perhaps today by receiving a great gift of love. By saying today I receive the love of God in Jesus Christ. Today, today I believe. Today I follow. From this day forth, I'm casting my lot with Jesus. Some of you may need to receive him as Savior and Lord today to begin your journey of love. Others of you, I have a different challenge. You've already taken that first step by receiving God's love. Today you need to take a second step to show God's love. It's easy to show it to mom on Mother's Day. So that one doesn't count. But could you have your eyes and ears and hearts open, not just today but this week, to look around and say, how can I show love? And not just to my family. And not just to people who show love to me, but to people who are unlovable. And folks, we got a world full of them. But we got a lot of love because we're holy buckets. And God will keep pouring in, and we're to keep pouring out. We could start a revolution. Not with guns and bombs, 
but with the genuine love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love.